Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer and on tonight's show I've got Julia Lee from Berman Invest. Now I've got her looking at six stocks that I think are underpriced and if you allow some time I reckon they will rebound. But what does Julia think? I then asked Mike Gable from Fairmont Equities to look at these stocks on the charts to see if the charts are giving us the thumbs up or the thumbs down. And then Paul Rickard looks at three great, reliable, income-paying stocks. The average, we put them together, over 5%. So that's the show for tonight. Let's kick off right now with Julia Lee and the stocks that I think could easily rebound if you give it a bit of time. Thanks for joining us, Julia. Great to be here, Pete. Now, before I pick your brain for what you're liking, I wrote a story for the Switzer Report today, and I'd be interested to see what you think of these companies. Let's quickly go through it. First one's a very reliable company that hasn't had sort of spectacular price gains, namely Amcor. What do you think of Amcor? Yeah, look, I think Amcor is a, a steady earner. And I guess in this type of environment, the defensive type of earnings that Amcor produces are quite attractive as well. So after the long run of gains that we've seen over the last 10 months, I think it does pay to put a bit more of a defensive tilt just going into July. So it could be a good time to look at some of those more defensive type of companies like Amcor. What about NextDC? I, I see NextDC has been like a blue chip of the tech stocks. Not always shooting the lights out, but you, you kind of think it's always going to be a riser over time. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, NextDC and Megaport are both ones that are really riding that wave to that transition to the cloud and our need for data storage. And look, I think NextDC is looking pretty attractive at these prices. What we have seen in the data storage area is that supply has been increasing, but I think that's because we've seen demand increasing as well. And I think when NextDC comes out with its results, what we will see is that COVID-19 has really helped with that migration to the cloud and data storage needs. So look, Megaport has been doing pretty well, but mm. Next DC I think has a bit of catch up to play. And I would put a valuation of around 14 to $15 on this one. Yeah, uh, Next DC up today, 1.17%, $12.14. This one's an easy one because you told me you liked it a couple of weeks ago. Qantas up 2.5% <laughs> today, $4.91. Are you still buying more, uh, Julian? Yeah, I, I like Qantas. I think the reason why it jumped up so much here is because we saw that huge bid come for, through for Sydney airports. So $8.25 was the bid and we saw the share price of Sydney airports up as much as 40% during the session. And Jeez. I think this really what this really shows is that when you are looking at investing in the current environment, you can either look at the short term or the long term. And if you're looking at the long term, it is all about recovery from COVID-19 and returning to uh, conditions that were um, more similar to the pre-COVID-19 conditions. And Qantas is in a great spot to do this. So if you're investing in Qantas at the moment, what you're buying into is 2023 and beyond. Now Qantas has continually pulled back its uh, reopening of uh, international flights to normal mm. levels. And the last time it moved, that was from October to December this year. But of course, as more vaccinations come through, we're moving closer and closer to normalization. And of course, international flights being reopened to the general public. If we have a look at the domestic business, though, that's been very strong. And in fact, if we have a look at what 
Qantas is predicting uh, for uh, FY21, it is predicting that in the fourth quarter of this financial year, that conditions were back to pre-COVID-19 levels. Not only that, if we have a look at FY22, it's predicting that Jetstar capacity will get up to 122% of those uh, pre-COVID-19 levels and uh, Qantas to 107%. So I think what we're seeing is a bit of a coiled spring at the moment when it comes to travel. And when yeah. things <laughs> open up again, what we're probably going to see is everyone rushing to try and travel. So we'll actually see demand initially spike up quite strongly, yeah. which is great news for Qantas. So yeah, look, I think at these prices, if you're looking out to 2023, it's a bit of a no-brainer. Yeah, and it seems to me that the, the most important economic indicator to watch for Qantas are going to be vaccination rates. As they go up, the travel rate will go up as well. Here's an interesting one. Um, Woodside, up 2.9% today. Um, oil prices keep rising. Uh, I guess Woodside's got ESG issues, you know, but still, um, what do you think about Woodside? Yeah, I mean, Woodside has had a bit of a disappointing performance this year, I guess, given where we have seen the oil price. And the oil price is at 75 US a barrel. It's pretty amazing at the moment. If we have a look at Woodside Petroleum, I think one of the major issues that it faces is that in some of its growth projects, what we probably are going to see is capital expenditure rising. And that's because inputs like steel have been increasing. So on one side, you have oil prices, which are going really strong. And on the other side, what you're probably going to have is capital expenditure rising and those estimates of course eating into some of what investors feel around Woodside Petroleum. My pick in the oil and gas sector at the moment would be Santos. I think it has a much better exposure to, to growth projects and also the ability to de-risk its projects um, by selling some of the stakes that it has in its projects. So look, Woodside Petroleum, I think as long as the oil price continues above 75 US a barrel, you'll continue to see upgrades coming through, um, but it's all around the oil price plus capital expenditure ex expectations. Okay, this is a tough one. Um, I know the analysts like it, but it's had some really bad stories, lost its CEO recently, and that's Lendlease. What do you think, is Lendlease a, a 2023 play, Julia? Yeah, I think we spoke about Lendlease recently that there were some risks on the horizon for Lendlease, but the residential part remains really strong. I think what was disappointing in its latest update was that we did see the London part of its business underperforming. But if we have a look at residential property in all the other areas of the world, it's going all the major areas of the mm. world, it's going pretty strong at the moment, not only from the the uh, sale of properties, but also the rental side of things as well, whether that's in Australia or in the US. So I think London still has a bit of a catch up to play. So I think the growth is still ahead of Lend-Lease. Having said that, they have launched the business review and the results of that are due on the 16th of August, which means there's still the possibility for some bad news to come out. But if we do see bad news in August, I would take that as a signal to, to buy and probably I would start to accumulate at that point in time because the bad news is probably all out there and mm. if you have a look out two or three years and the growth potential of lend lease is still very strong so look i like one i'd take a little bit of a nibble here but be cautious given that there is that update on the 16th of august together with the full year numbers that we'll see the results of that strategic business review come through as well okay and one last one before i ask you what, what you want to talk about Linus, the company you've, you've liked, I know you're, you're long Linus, 
Are you still buying it at these levels? Yeah, I mean, we sold uh, on the day it reached that record high price and around that $6 mark once again. So we started to sell when it had hit those record high prices. But I do still like Linus and I like it for the same reason that I like the lithium story, the electric vehicle story and our need for rare earth, I think, is not only going to increase, but also the strategic uh, nature of rare earths that are produced outside of China, I think, is increasing as well. So look, Linus, I'd be pretty patient because you can pick it up for around about $5.50, which I think looking at a two to three year time frame is a good price to look at, but it is moving around quite a bit. But I do think that um, it's got some strong revenue coming through at the moment. I guess the other thing is just looking at Malaysia, it has been hit with COVID-19 quite hard. So how that's impacted in terms of production as well is something to, to consider and keep a close eye on. Okay, that's me. What do you want to talk about? Uh, uh, I guess uh, I've been topping up on Cube today. Um, yeah. We had some good news. I mean, you, if you look at Cube, I've mentioned Cube a few times, I think, from when it was uh, trading in the low threes and now it's around about $3.15, but still topping up at around these levels. I still like it. It's an integrated service provider of import-export services. It's got ports, it's got trucking, it's got the rail. And look, consumer spending is pretty strong at the moment. Not only that, commodity prices are strong. So if you have a look at the bulks, they're looking, it's looking quite strong from an export perspective. And then if you have a look at the soft commodities, grains as well as cereal, not only is the outlook strong, but prices are quite strong at the moment as well. So lots of tailwinds in terms of uh, Cube. It does have a couple of strategic investments as well. The two major ones being Patrick's as well as the Moorbank Logistics. And today we heard about the sale of its Moorbank Logistics for $1.7 billion. And Pete, I think this is a really great price. It's a price which equates to $1.36 per share plus about 30 32 cents in a deferred payment. So I think the price is really good there. And what they're going to do with the money is not only pay off debt, invest in growth initiatives, but also capital management. And with the franking balance that Cube has, I think that uh, that's going to mean a tax effective capital return to shareholders when they release their full year numbers. Okay. And you love that kind of thing, don't you, Julia? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Thanks for joining us. Julia Lee's very best. Become an annual Switzer Report subscriber and get unprecedented access to my seven investing principles where I reveal the exact strategies I use to invest. You'll get access to an exclusive PDF, video recording, and even a free copy of my book, Join the Rich Club. With a 30-day money-back guarantee, a Switzer Report subscription is one of the wisest investments you can make towards your future. Find out more at switzerreport.com.au slash YouTube offer or click on the link in the description below. Well, joining me now is our charters and technical analyst expert, Mike Gable from Fairmont Equities. Thanks, Michael. How are you? Thanks, Peter. Good, thanks. All right, mate, let's kick off with a couple of stocks that I've been talking about on the program so far. First one is Amcor. I've basically identified companies that I think haven't been really chased very hard by the market, but um, I, I see them as being good quality companies that someone really could easily have in their portfolio. What do the charts say about Amcor right now? Um, with, with Amcor, I mean, what I've, what I've presented here is a 10-year chart. Uh, we could see in the first part of those 10 years, it did really well, but, but obviously in the last, say, five or six years, uh, the share price just hasn't, hasn't really gone anywhere. Um, 
I mean, when I look at the way it's trading recently, it still looks like it doesn't really want to get that much of a move on. So um, I, I think from where I'm sitting, it'll still underperform the market for the time being. Um, but what I think would be interesting is if it can, you know, break out of this range. So as we could see over the last five or six years, it's been trading in a range between about $13 and um, a bit over 16. I think if it was to break to an all time high, I think that would generate quite a bit of interest and we'll see it, um, you know, trend nicely from there. But at the moment, while it's in the range, um, I think there's probably better opportunities elsewhere. Michael, do you, often, do you often see this kind of pattern for a company that is regarded as being a pretty good income paying stock? Yeah, we've seen over the last five, five six years that um, you know, a lot of income paying stocks haven't actually progressed during that period. If you're talking from you know, the start of five or six years ago to now, you know, whether you're talking banks, Telstra, or you're well, all the all the usual names that, that pay a good dividend, they might have done okay in the last um, several months, but over that longer term period, the share prices haven't really moved. I suppose that's that's just a reflection of the fact that companies that pay good dividends on on average tend to be fairly mature companies, um, and therefore their earnings growth um, is only enough to cover the dividends. And I guess what we can see is that even with the coronavirus crash, it didn't crash much, did it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, Amcor is one of those companies which is pretty defensive. And I think people quickly realised that um, that while, you know, everyone was at home uh, during COVID, they were buying a lot of things online and that needs packaging to get sent to you. So uh, I, think, I think the market quickly realised that, um, you know, it wasn't all doom and gloom for Amcor. Okay, let's go to your next one now, and it's uh, Lendlease. Now, this is a company that's had a bit of bad news recently, but the analysts still seem to like it. The chart doesn't look too, too crash on. <laughs> no, the, I mean, this is what I've got here is a daily chart going back the last year. It hasn't, um, it hasn't been doing well before last week's um, profit downgrade. I, look, I can't get too excited, but there is... I guess a, a sliver of a slither of hope here. Um, during last week's uh, downgrade, of course, the the share price fell quite a bit, but we could see that um, at the bottom right hand side of the screen, we could see that it opened fairly low, near about ten fifty, um, but it did recover most of those losses throughout the day, and then for the couple of days after that, it hasn't really gotten any worse. So. You know, it could that could be a bit of a flaw in the share price. I'd probably want at least a few more days or so to see that there is good buying support and the share price isn't just going to um, roll over. But um, as you know, Peter, the, you know, whenever you have these events where a company announces something that's either very positive or very negative and the share price does the complete opposite of what you expect, um, that's actually a telling sign as to what's already priced in. Yeah. Okay, let's go to the next one. Next DC, NXT. So this one hasn't had a very good sort of last six months, but I am seeing early signs that um, that we can actually see some higher levels again for the next DC. So yeah, when, when you have a share price that's heading backwards, um, it, it makes lower highs and lower lows. And it's always best, in my opinion, to wait for for the stock to make a higher high or a higher low 
Um, so what I've indicated with this particular chart, Peter, is um, that horizontal line on the right-hand side of the chart was where the previous high was in April. Um, and up until a few days ago, the, the share price was just consolidating under that line. And then today it's broken above that. So actually today's the first sign that we might start to see a rally again in next DC. So this, this chart isn't too dissimilar to the Megaport chart that we looked at a few months ago where it was heading back, but then when it finally made that higher high, um, that was the first sign that it was ready to, to rally. And obviously Megaport's had a good few months. So, I mean, hopefully next DC is now going to do a Megaport from here and, and start to uh, trend higher again. Yeah, it's very good of you to remind us of um, that uh, I actually put, put everybody onto a good one with Megaport, which <laughs> you reinforced. Well done. <laughs> okay, let's go to the next one, Qantas. Now, from my point of view, you know, uh, things are really crappy for a travel business right now, but yeah. one day things have to change and Qantas is a quality performing company. What's the chart saying, Michael? This is getting close to, to perhaps being a buy again. I mean, I've, I've, I've dabbled with these travel stocks over the last year. And I think, as you could see, looking at the Qantas chart, it was easier to make money in the first part of the last 12 months than in the latter half because of these continued sort of lockdowns and problems um, with us trying to reopen. But, but what's starting to look interesting is that Qantas, I guess similar to the next DC chart, Qantas might be putting in a, a higher high. So again, I've put a horizontal blue line to indicate where the previous high was. Today, it looks like it's trying to get above it. Um, maybe not quite, but um, yeah, look, it's early days. I think if we could see Qantas push up towards $5, um, then that would be a good sign. And then I think if it can dip back uh, and not head back under that, that June low, then that would be a, a higher low. And that would, in my opinion, be a buying opportunity. So I think, yeah, Qantas next few days, um, we'll know for sure if it's, if it's ready to get a bit of a move on. But of course, the risk with these stocks is, uh, you know, the politicians do something else to... Um, to ruin it for the rest of us. Yeah, I think if we see some really good news over the next three or four months about vaccinations, mm. I suspect Qantas will become a much more popular company. But at the moment, it needs some vaccination news and no lockdown yeah. news. Let's go to the next one, mate. And this is one you, I think you've liked last time we saw you, but you know, someone like you can change your mind on a dime if things change. Woodside. <laughs> yeah, look, Woodside, uh, I think, still has... Um, potential. There's there's definitely this disconnect between where the oil price has been heading to in the last few months or so compared to the share prices. So when we looked at Woodside, I think it was a few weeks or so ago, um, I was looking at the break above that downtrend line. So we've got the diagonal blue line. We had that nice uh, break above it in June. But what it's since done is it's come back to that line. Um, and then as it got to the top part of the line, in the last few days, it's bounced off it. So previously, where the share price was contained under that blue line, now it seems to be happy to sit above that, which is, which is a good sign. So it's what we refer to as a, a retest of a breakout. Um, so it seems to be successfully doing that uh, and rallying. So I think if Woodside was to start trading under $22, uh, the chart starts to look uh, a bit more negative. But for the moment, it looks like it's ready to have another run. Okay, so that's the, the five I want you to look at. Now, I always ask you to bring along one that you think showing some promising signs. 
And this one is Linus, L-Y-C. Yeah, so with, so with the, the charts I've been looking at recently for you, Peter, I just want to let you know, I have um, sold out of iLuca um, for clients. So this was one of our picks yeah. um, from a few months ago. And as, as promised, I'll, I'll keep you updated if I get out. So we're out of iLuca, but I very much like the look of Linus here. So um, as we could see on the left-hand side of the chart, it's had this fantastic run. Uh, and then after peaking in March, it really did start to struggle. So we went from a period where the share price was edging up quite nicely to a period where the share price was occasionally getting smashed pretty hard. And in terms of finding an entry point, what I like to do is wait for that volatility to compress. Um, and when you see the trading ranges narrow and start mm. to get to a point, then you're ready for, for another move higher. So as we could see with Linus over the last few months, um, the share price has been congesting to a point. Um, it's just starting to, to get out of that, um, that consolidation now. So I think over the next few weeks, we'll start to see some very nice moves here in Linus. Great. Okay. And, and the, the fact that those little, um, those little um, mountains, or if you like, the, the mountains and valleys, ridges and valleys, getting smaller and smaller, that's what you mean by they're, they're compressing. Yeah, exactly. So each of those little bars is, is what we refer to as a candlestick and they're getting smaller. Um, but as, as you say, Peter, even between all the, the, the peaks and, and, and the troughs, the, the gap between those is getting smaller and smaller, which means, you know, especially in terms of the bottom, every time it dips, the, the buying's really starting to, to come in and, and pick it up in those dips. Um, so yeah, look, it's, it's getting ready for a nice move, I think. Okay, right. So that's, um, that's the questions we want to ask you about stocks on, on, um, that we're looking at right now. But I've got a few questions. This one came from a, a guy called Patrick, who's obviously a fan of, the, um, the, of your work. And he wanted to ask a couple of questions. I thought, well, while I've got you here, I'll put you on the spot. Okay. He said, for someone who's starting out, What's a good resource book or blog or website to read to understand technical analysis? Oh, look, I think, I mean, there's, yeah, there's definitely plenty out there. I've, I've got a heap of books. Um, I, think it's, I think it's important to, regardless of what book you read, it's important to understand candlestick charting. Um, so that's all the little, those little bars on, on my chart. It, it does really open up. Um, uh, it, it really opens up the chart to a lot of people in terms of understanding um, price action, uh, demand and supply throughout the day, throughout the week, um, and, and so on. So I think if you can understand the candlesticks, um, then you can start to try to understand different charting um, patterns as well. Um, so, uh, you know, the different patterns allow you to realise whether you know, if a stock moving up or down is actually quite bullish or, or bearish, because sometimes you see a stock pulling back and one person thinks that's a bad sign, um, but it's actually not too bad if you can understand the, um, the volume and, and, and the price action. Um, but then beyond that, it's like, like all investing, it's very much a case of trying to understand, um, you know, the risk management side of things. So, I mean, another... Uh, a great trader in the US is a, is a gentleman by the name of Mark Minervini, and he's got a couple of books 
um, and I'd recommend you have a look at one of those as well. Mm. I, I think a lot of people don't fully understand what, what lies behind technical analysis. I, I'm going to sort of simplify it this way, but I, I'd like you to add to it. It's, it seems to me that what we're trying to do is understand the collective mentality of the market. Particularly when I listen to you and what you're talking about, Michael, you're kind of saying that, okay, everybody comes together in this thing called the stock market and there are mm. buyers and sellers. But what the charts actually visually show us is what, what is the impact of the buyers versus the sellers? And, and they give us insights about whether we should be supporting a stock or rejecting a stock. Is that a, a fair way of looking at it? Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, candlestick charting was developed by the, the Japanese hundreds of years ago. I'll have to double check all my dates, but, but basically it was a way of, of, of those in, in the marketplace, uh, the markets at the time, um, not the financial markets, but just markets buying and selling commodities, just to understand that, that basic, where that basic underlying supply and demand is, is coming from and how strong it is. Um, as, as we know, a price can, can shoot up, but if there's nothing behind it, then uh, we know it's just built on sand. So, um, yeah, look, it's, it's, just an, it's not the only tool out there, of course, but I think it's, it's a very important tool to add to your arsenal of, of other tools when it comes to investing. Um, and, you know, my philosophy is always to try to make sure I'm buying stuff heading in the right direction and not trying to um, be the one sticking my neck out and, and buying something when clearly it's getting dumped by forces that are, are much greater than I am. Do you use what you see on the charts first? And then if you like something, then go and look at the, the fundamental analysis to see whether there, there's good reason for the market showing you those positive or negative signs? I think they both need to match up. Sometimes, sometimes you see a really good looking chart and then you figure out what is going on. Um, but then there's of course companies that I like fundamentally and then I'm just waiting on those charts to, to marry up. But, but once I'm in a position when it comes to managing that open position, I always pay attention um, to the charts because we know that sometimes the stock price could fall quite away before the, um, the, the fundamentals are known to the market and by then it's sometimes too late. Yeah. Michael, what do you say to people who don't believe, you know, some people say, oh, you know, technical analysis, it's, you know, it's just you know, guesswork, which is totally unfair when they say that because you wouldn't be on the program if, if you were just here guessing. But, you know, you, you know, some people are very disparaging towards technical analysis and my view is I want, as many views as I can to understand whether I should be buying or selling a stock. Mm. But what is your, your standard reply to cynics about charting and analysis? I don't know. Maybe in my old age, I just don't bother trying to change people's minds anymore, Peter. Oh, come on. You, <laughs> must, you must have at least something that says, that actually puts, you know, hits them to the boundary when they're being cynics. Yeah, look, I mean, I, um, I remember being on a show with you back in the Sky Business days, Peter, and, um, uh, and, and I think one of you guests made a bit of a comment about 
the way I was reading a chart on, on Westfield um, because I thought there was pretty good buying happening in that stock. And a few weeks later, it, um, it received that takeover offer. So, um, you know, I guess the results uh, uh, are there. Um, you know, we'll let, let the results do their talking. Um, but, but as you say, Peter, it's, it's another tool. So why not, you know, whether you want to place equal weighting to technical and fundamental, or you could be 90% fundamental, 10% technical, um, but, you know, however weighting you want to, to, to pick, um, I just think it's another tool uh, in, in, in investors' arsenals to, to use. Yeah, one last thing, Michael. Um, one last thing we put your, your earpiece back in, <laughs> which, which is something you have to do when you're doing Zoom uh, uh, interviews. Um, has it, have you often found that you've seen something going on, like, for example, the Westfield one? And, and let's face it, when people get a sniff of something, um, the market often will move ahead of the, the revelation publicly. Yeah. Have, have you, on, on numerous occasions, been given insights from the technical analysis to something that then gets announced and the market either gets, gets shocked to the positive or shocked to the negative? 100%, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, the markets are not efficient, that's for sure. Yeah, and so, um, yeah. I know, I know you don't want to be, uh, you know, be uh, incriminating or, or whatever, but th that is the case, isn't it? There are many occasions before major announcements, there are some people who get ahead of the market because they've been given, I guess, inside information. Yeah, look, that's that's just the way it is. So we can, you know, we can complain about it and shake our fists, or just accept that it's there and try to take advantage of it. Okay, I'm going to ask you this, this last one. Were there any telltale signs with Newix before it fell? Oh, look, it, um, I'd have to go back and check the dates of announcements. But uh, yeah, look, I mean, if the share price was falling away for a period of time before that, uh, look, I mean, maybe that's a little bit hard because it's, uh, it's a brand new listing. And, mm. and we know that generally, you know, there's investors that are wary of new listings anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it was over a very short period of time. Yeah, but there exactly. were some really big sales, weren't there, by um, people who are now being investigated. I guess That's in the right. fullness of time, we'll probably um, mm. be able to have a, a look at that and see if there were actually some telltale signs. Yeah, it'll, it'll all come out in the papers, that's for sure. <laughs> all right, Michael um, Gable from the Femmer Equities, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Well, the market's been doing very well and some experts like Julia Lee said a lot of people may be starting to think they should become a little bit more defensive. When you get defensive, if you want to stay in the market, you often go chasing those stocks that pay good dividends. And Paul Rickard's written a piece today looking at companies that are reliable dividend payers. Paul? Yeah, Peter, I might probably approach from a different, slightly different point of view, more of a start of a new financial year. Yeah. Which stocks should be you know, good income payers with not too much volatility and maybe a little bit of growth in uh, in 21-22. Mm. Uh, and also, I'll look from outside the banks and the resource companies. The problem yeah. with the banks, Peter, we all know about them. We all know about the banks and Telstra, you know, mm. good dividends. 
And the resource companies, of course, are price takers. And we know there's going to be some fabulous dividends from BHP and the likes of Rio and Fortescue and others. Mm. But they, as price takers, they've got no control over yeah. their profits they make. And so I don't think you can really look at them as reliable dividend payers. You're yeah. going to get huge rewards this year. Yeah. But I want to look outside those and, uh, you know, yeah. again, look across a multi-sector approach, people. So it's This is like a, a base of stocks that are reliable income payers. That's what you're saying, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and I want uh, stock preferably from each from five different sectors, so yeah. a little bit of diversification. Uh, and also what I describe as generally low beta, that is that um, in most cases, that, that their share price is less volatile than the market. So if the market goes up 2%, they won't go up quite as far. If the market falls 2%, they won't go down quite as far either. So mm. generally when you, we beat us that sort of measure of relative volatility compared to the market overall. Yeah, yeah. unlike alpha stocks that go unlike up Unlike alpha stocks, which is, which, you, which is what you want if you're chasing growth or you yeah. want real performance, you go for the alpha stocks. Yeah, okay. We want to go for the income stocks, and typically income stocks are, aren't, aren't quite as... Uh, Sexy. You would say sexy, I, I, I knew that, but I was looking we're for We're not afraid word. of using the word sexy here, Paul. I don't think anyone's barring people from using that just yet. Let's go to your first one. Look, I've got five. Maybe I'll go through three, Peter, and if people want to go to the other two, look at the... Um, Swiss report. Swiss report. Look, I've gone for Coles over Woolworths, Peter. I, I, I normally believe in backing the market leader, mm. and uh, I think eight out of ten times it's, it's better to be in the leader as opposed to the number two in a marketplace. Yep. Yep. That also goes for you chasing for income as well. But Woolworths has had a pretty good run lately with the head of the Endeavour to merger. Coal's got very high, it's come off, it got out of favour, it's spending a bit more money having to reinvest in the business. That mm. was always known. Uh, it's come off a pretty good run overall, but I think Coles is probably a little, uh, a little more interesting. It's cheaper than Woolworths, and the question is, is it cheap enough? But mm. I think it probably looks okay. About a 3.6% yield for FY, the, the next financial year, 100% franking. That's the yield on, on their dividends. Yeah, and that translates to a, a reasonably high payout ratio, almost 80%, but uh, they're very cash flow generative. Mm. And, of course, in the supermarkets, we've, you know, we, we had a... A um, couple of years back, there were what we called the supermarket wars between Coles and Woolworths and Audi and Metcash and mm. you know, Costco coming into the market. Yeah. Those things seem to have sort of tailed off. Yeah. And um, I'm not saying it's all, it's all love and peace and war out, peace and case out there, yeah. but the wars aren't as bad as they were. And that means that there's not as much downward pressure on prices. And that means they're able to sort of hold margins, even arguably improve margins. At Isn't it so interesting, Paul, that they use the old rock group status quo <laughs> when they're saying prices are down? You know, and, and now status quo has actually taken over. There's, there isn't that sort of com competition. It's not so much down, down anymore, is no, it? Right? Down, there's, there's, down, there's a bit of down, but it's, it's, down. but it's not as much as it was, Peter. Yeah. And um, Okay, that's yeah. one, Paul. Look, another one is uh, a long-time favourite of mine has been Medibank. Now, Medibank's yeah. actually in the financial stocks. I've got a lot of clients who say it's insurance. Well, it, it, or it, health. It, <laughs> it is, but it's in, that's financial. So it's not, not a health stock. It's no. actually it's, it's all about insurance. Um, and so it's, uh, it's labelled in the financials. I like Medibank because uh, it's a market leader with almost 27, 28% market share through two brands. And for a market leader, it's actually bound to grow policyholders and market share. Which is rare. And that's pretty rare. There are a lot of sort of headwinds against health insurance. We all know questions about affordability. We all know against that, of course, uh, it's harder for younger Australians to want to take out private health insurance. And so a lot of issues about the, the health insurance market. But um, despite those headwinds, Medibank's been very well managed. Just changed CEOs. So a new CEO's come in who's uh, the guy who was previously the head of their uh, customer division. 
So it's an internal appointment, but I think he replaces the very respected Craig Drummond who's left. But Medibank's still growing market share. Price has gone up quite a bit um, the last 12 months. Share it's, price? Uh, share price to about $3.30. So getting a little expensive, mm. but uh, under $3, I like it. Uh, yield of about 3.9%, 100% franking. Uh, and overall, I think, um, you know, look, it's, it's not going to shoot the lights out. It's not that sort of mm. stock. Beta is very low, yeah. but um, I think it's at the right price, Medibank's attractive. So if the, the dividend yield is 3.9% with franking, what's it end up at? Well, it ends up almost 5% there, yeah. Peter. So look, that, that's okay. And the third one is a little more risk on this, and that's JB Hi-Fi, which is my retailer of retailers. Yeah. And um, this is a consumer discretionary. So Coles, of course, is consumer staples. People have to buy groceries and mm. as we saw during COVID, you know, they got a big bounce because there's more stay at homes. Yep. The consumer discretionaries like JB Hi-Fi also did fabulously well uh, in because in, of COVID and lockdown, all the money people had, so they went and bought electronics, they mm. bought, went and bought furnitures. And so what I'm giving you is not the yield for this current yield. The yield this year is going to be a lot higher, but the market's already factoring lower earnings next next year. That's because as, as normalcy returns, there's not as much spending around. People have more reason to travel, won't be so buying the latest piece of software mm. or electronic games. And so that's already factored into the price. But despite all that, JB Hi-Fi is still trading at a pretty low multiple, Peter, of about 16 times forward earnings. Mm. And by multiples, that's pretty low. Yeah, for a great even, company. For a great company, even with a price of $50 and a track record year in, year out of higher sales, higher earnings and higher dividends. And I'm factoring even lower earnings next year because of the uh, normalcy return. And it usually but spikes after reporting because they shock the market how good they're doing. They've done a really good record of, of, out, of outperforming, a bit like in the CSL category. It's mm. one of those companies, you look at the share price, you look at the price of earnings per share, that sort of graph. You look at the track record of exceeding expectations uh, year in, year out, they tend to do it. Mm. So I, that's why I rate them the best retailer in Australia. Mm. A little more risk because this stock was only $40 uh, pre-pandemic and it's, uh, it's added 25%. And that's really in the back of uh, pretty good management. Uh, and so a little nervous about the price, but that all said, even on a, on a forward, <coughs> on a FY22 earnings, it's only on a multiple 16 yeah. times. But the coronavirus stay-at-home period actually improved their online sales. And there's a belief that that, that's going to stay with them and grow, I guess, over time because older people are actually used to using online now. Yeah, they, that is, and that's, that's, that's helping. In one way, it's, it's, it's less cost-intensive. The other one, the negative is still the margins are arguably a bit lower than some of the things mm. sold uh, inside. I mean, they, they say that, of course, you know, you get the same price and you do, but there's a bit more competition online, so they're, they're a bit forced to match that on certain items. So, mm. But, um, look, yeah, I mean, they've adapted really well, Peter. So I've got a couple of other stocks to add in there as well, which you'll have to go to the Switzer report to read those. Yeah. But all up, uh, it's a portfolio of five stocks, average yield of 4.5%. Plus franking. Plus franking. Total franking, it's going to be franked at 60% because two of the stocks are unfranked. But mm. overall, uh, adding in the fact that 60% franked, that grosses up to 5.6%. Much better than term deposit. Sure, your capital can jump around, but if you're looking for income, these are the sort of stocks you should be yeah, chasing. Yeah, look, a bit of diversification. Look, there's always risk, right? I mean, there's nothing that's riskless apart from term deposits and, and government bonds. Mm. Um, and so any equity, doesn't matter what they say, can always go down in price. And we saw that in, during the COVID crash. Everything went down in price, right? You sure did. So uh, if, you, if you're worried about uh, crashes and markets being oversold and don't buy equities for income. but you know, because of the, the tax system in Australia, uh, which rewards companies to pay tax, and we have this fantastic thing called franking, 
we have much higher dividend yields in Australia, and you can look at a portfolio of stocks as being income payers yeah. with some risk. Yeah, exactly right. That's Paul Rickard. If you want to know more, go to switzerreport.com.au. And that's the show for tonight. Uh, if you are looking for income, and Paul's giving you some good tips, you also could have a look at the Switzer Dividend Growth Fund. That has been put together with about 35 stocks, and the goal there is to get 4 to 5% return plus franking. So that's another thing, another vehicle that you could have a look at. Otherwise, go to the switzerreport.com.au for Paul's story. Thanks for joining us. I'll see you next week.